0: In this episode of Cannabis Unlocked, Rena Sherbill, the Director of Audio Content at Seeking Alpha and the host of the Cannabis Investing Podcast, sits down with myself, Tibby Erdely, one of the founding partners here at Key, to discuss the evolution of the U.S. cannabis market, the mix of political support behind cannabis reform, and the impact that Israel has had on our understanding of medical cannabis. Our conversation begins with Rena's experience at Seeking Alpha and her journey towards cannabis, how her views on the cannabis industry have changed as the industry has matured. From there, we discuss the current state of the U.S. markets, how public cannabis companies are faring during the economic climate, and our discussion continues with predictions on the future of the U.S. cannabis industry. This episode concludes with a conversation around Israel's extensive research efforts and how that's positioned Israel at the forefront of cannabis research. I hope you enjoy. All right, everybody. Well, welcome to another episode of uh, Cannabis Unlocked with key investment partners. Um, I'm thrilled to have one of my favorite podcast hosts on the show today, um, Rena Sherbill, uh, is joining us from Seeking Alpha and from, are you in Tel Aviv, Israel? Or I you, am
1: indeed. Yep,
0: in Tel Aviv. Um, if anybody ever, you know, is active on the cannabis podcasting scene, I'm sure that Rena's podcast is, is likely at the top of your list. Um, certainly a show that, uh, I admire quite a bit. So it was really fun to be on, on the show a couple months ago and she's returning the favor today and, and joining us on, on the key cannabis unlock show. So Rina, um, how about you tell us a little bit about, who you are, what you do for seeking alpha, maybe why you got involved in the cannabis space in the first place?
1: For sure, well, thank you very much for having me it's excited It's exciting to be on the other side of things and I'm uh, happy to talk to you again and I'm happy to uh, you know build and and build on this relationship that I feel like is very edifying in terms of the conversations we're having around cannabis. so much appreciated to you and uh, all the insights you're bringing to the industry um, i've been working for seeking alpha you know i was just at a concert the other night and i have a 20 year old daughter and he was saying that his 20 year old son was in the audience and he's like my son just turned 20 and i'm 400 years old i kind of feel like i've been at seeking (laughs) alpha for 400 years uh but it's been almost 14 years um which is an eternity especially these days uh i started out as an editor um learning my way I, i my my background is more in journalism than than finance um, and when we started doing podcasts probably like four years ago, I was subbing for the news podcast, and there was the Canada conference in Tel Aviv, which at the time was one of the premier cannabis conferences. They had them in different locations throughout the world. Um, and the one that, the one in Tel Aviv was, was really special and we covered it. And my colleague and I were just like, This is its own podcast. Um, I've always been a fan of the plan. So it it suited me very, very much. Um, And it was really exciting to see what was happening in this space. You know, I was reading about it from a bit from the Seeking Alpha financial perspective from the investment perspective, but also just as an excited consumer participant, you know, observer of, of the industry. Um, and I was telling somebody recently, they were asking me if I ever go back to and listen to older uh, episodes. And whenever I do, I, I feel like we were very sweet <laughs> and naive <laughs> uh, in terms of the expectations and in terms of the numbers that we thought we would hit. Uh, certainly, I mean, the first person I talked to was Cam Batley from Aurora Cannabis um, and the excitement that I had at the time around the Canadian cannabis market and what that was going to do um, you know, for the world and, and eventually come through the States. And then as I slowly started to understand the industry on a deeper level, and it's been a few years since I started the podcast. Um, and I guess what I try to do now is parse out, uh, kind of the hype, the hopium, sometimes the BS, um, and, and parse that out from what's really happening in the truth. And I think one of the things I really try to do is not get too high and I I try also not to get too low, Um, but I really, I I try and, and and sometimes I've succeeded more than others in terms of my excitement around some things that haven't come to pass in the way that I thought that they would. Um, But I think that's true for every investor across every sector probably, for sure in a burgeoning industry like cannabis. Uh, But yeah, that's that's my main goal is to bring, a bit you know coming from the seeking alpha brand in terms of lending the cannabis industry trying to do my part in in lending it some seriousness in the investment community
0: no and and you you certainly do do that i think that you uh you brought a lot of truth to light at least for myself and i know my partners feel the same way with with your podcast i like what you said there too about trying to kind of like bifurcate you know the hype the excitement and then the reality of what's going on and the expectations, and then also the BS. And it's funny you say that because you know, we look through different deals and different opportunities and investments and structures, et cetera, all the time. And it's really hard sometimes to kind of peel back the onion and say, okay, what's hype? What's BS? You know, what's actually happening with these companies, you know, fundamentally from the bottoms up. So Um, certainly an exciting industry, but I think like any other emerging market, it's, it's more of a roller coaster ride, uh, no pun intended, but a lot of highs and a lot of lows and, um, you know, having folks like you in the industry that help people at least navigate the reality of what's going on in the ground has been extremely beneficial. So thank you for all you do for the industry and bringing it more to more to light and more to, you know, an institutional level is what I would say.
1: I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Likewise. absolutely.
0: So, yeah, look, we're,
1: I, I, sorry, I was just going to say, I mean, one of the, I don't mean to interrupt you, but one of the things that I was going to say is, you know, the thing that I've loved most, or I guess one of the things that I've loved most about doing the podcast is, meeting people that are really committed to doing that. And there's a lot of people out there and I, and I gained so much from, you know, so many people covering the industry. And uh, I think a lot of the people in the industry have a love for the plan and what it can do for humanity and the people on the investing side of things. I think also see that there is a huge opportunity there for people, even retail investors one day, um Monday. and 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 that to me is is really exciting so i feel like um i really appreciate you saying that and i definitely feed off the inspiration of others very much so
0: oh i i love that well we'll uh, we'll keep fighting the good fight together here and and this yeah. industry will continue to grow i have no doubts about that and yeah. we'll we'll learn a little bit about your insights specifically with regards to where we think the industry is headed and where where things really stand today so i think that's a good segue you know, this is a broad topic question, but can you give me maybe the 30,000 two minute overview on your view of the current state of the cannabis markets and specifically, I think, I think the US.
1: Yeah. Um, gosh, what, what day is it, you know, um, <laughs> there or what minute is it in the day? There are so, I guess, the way that I look at it, there are things to be excited about and there are things to want more improvements in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say the things that I'm excited about are the states that are rolling out. I mean, you look at a state like Missouri that came online this year, and that I would say, you know, something that we've talked about a lot covering the podcast, be it in the states or internationally is how states or countries are designing their rollout. And something that I've been really happy about is how Missouri has designed their rollout, how they've actualized mm-hmm. it, how successful it's been. Certainly something that we can point to in the industry that has been you know, the more successful models are when the medical market is really developed and has a really strong infrastructure and then they can switch that to adult use, which is you know, what happened in Missouri. Um, I think the first month saw upwards of hundred million. Um, and I think that was in February, those are just great numbers, you know, and, and that's an exciting state that isn't, I, it wasn't a slam dunk state. Um, and I think that's really nice to see, especially when so much time and energy is spent covering the New York market and the California market, which are less (laughs) exciting to talk about in a lot of ways. Um, You know, you look at New York, which is a a hugely exciting market in terms of culture, in terms of brands, in terms of money and investment and all those things. But definitely the rollout has been less uh, ideal. There's been lots of, I think, problems uh, with that rollout in terms of the encroachment of or not the encroachment, the the absolute uh, stronghold that the illicit market has on, on that state. Um, and I think California also, you're seeing a lot of, uh, companies leave California because of all the difficulties in navigating that market. Also speaking to the illicit market being, I would say their biggest competition there. Um, and so there's a lot of problems in some of the bigger States. Um, but there are points of light to point to, I think. Uh, and then, you know, on the flip side, we saw, I think like five States, um, say no to cannabis bills this year. Um, mostly, I, I hate to bifurcate between red and blue, although I know it's done all the time in terms sure. of states, um, because I think people and states are a lot more complicated than a color. But if, you know, we're we're looking at those. So it's disappointing to see that it hasn't. Um, to me, it's like a cannabis bill comes up. It's like a dumb moment. How do you say no to that? It's money, it's taxes, it's healing, it's, it's all those things. So, um, so that is disappointing. And the, the spread
0: hasn't been too wide in those states, though, right? Like it feels like that's we're true. getting Closer with a lot of them. That's true. What do, what do you think is? Do you think that it's just the old stigma? You know, cannabis is a drug. Stay away. War on drugs kind of mentality. That's you know pushing this off in some states that we feel like we thought we're going to come online, but they're simply taking longer. Is there something deeper than? you know, kind kind of historical uh, feelings towards the plant?
1: My sense is that it's definitely partly that. I think also when you're talking about change, I mean, when I see changes happen on a small scale, I see people freaking out um, because change is hard. And Mm -hmm. when, you know, speaking to the kind of bigger picture of what the world looks like if you're talking about the healthcare sector and pharmaceutical companies and biotech companies and and them wanting a part of it or them wanting to weigh in or them wanting to make sure that the drugs that they're developing for people's well-being are still being bought by those people as opposed to cannabis or psychedelics or whatever the alternative to those things are. Um, it's shocking and upsetting because of how, Certainly in some cases, those, those medicines are are good and life-saving, but certainly in many cases, they're life-destroying. And uh, I think, I think it's the stigma. I think it's probably pharmaceuticals, pharma's hold on, you know, politicians and money and what we're able to get done and the notion of change and people just letting go of what they used to think and what they thought that they knew and what they were in many cases, rabidly against and in some cases still are rabidly against, but to be honest, to be rabidly against cannabis or psychedelics for that matter, at this point, to me, just smacks of, I am not looking at real research. I am just going by what's rolling around in my head and what's been rolling around in my head for, you know, however long they've been around and, it's just, it's just, uh, it's not, it's not updating the story. It's just not updating the That's story. That's
0: exactly right. Well, the the sad part is we've had the scientific research for, you know, four or five decades now. Um, and it's been largely ignored. I mean, we could go down this rabbit hole for sure. But the fact that it's a schedule one, And we know for a fact that there are FDA approved drugs like Epidiolex or cannabis, you know, not derived, but synthetic cannabis like Marinol that's used for cancer patients, et cetera. It just makes absolutely no sense. I think that you mentioned big pharma obviously kind of being a blocker and that's, I think, obvious to a lot of folks. I think one that a lot of folks don't really talk about actually is private prison complex and how deeply um, seated that is into some politicians, um, pockets as well. I, 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 do talk to a lot of folks that think that that's actually probably one of the biggest roadblocks to the industry, but I think we could have a whole separate podcast talking about, um, what we would call the racist roots of cannabis really. Absolutely. Um, but in fact, I think maybe introducing you to one of my business partners, Jordan, who, who has written quite a bit on the topic there would be great. If you ever wanted to go down that, um, that path, yeah, but
1: no, it's definitely a really strong point. I was just hearing somebody say the biggest um, kind of uh, mental health institution in the world is jail, and it's yeah. not being done well.
0: <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Um, we we know we like to put people behind bars, especially on on in the U.S. So yeah. Um. Anyways, I don't want I don't want to go too off topic there. Very very relevant to um, the entire conversation towards legalization, but yeah. Let's, let's focus a little bit on, you know, again, the state of the cannabis markets. Um, one of my favorite publicly traded companies um, out there, GTI, um, announced earnings recently, would love to kind of get your take on, on how GTI is faring.
1: I think in some ways, it was really good. You know, I think in some ways, uh, you know, they beat expectations. But I think one of one of the things that you can point to, and this is happening uh, across the industry, is the analyst downgrades, um, and that is disappointing. Um, and I think also, well, specifically to to Green Thumb, um, you know, I think that it's a really strong operator, definitely one of the strongest operators in the space, and I think it's it's proven that uh, over time. Um, mm-hmm. I think what's concerning now is what's happening in the industry so there's points of light to point to in the in the green thumb report right i mean there is uh you know in in terms of the cash flow it's there um uh the the it, it's profitable um i think though what we're concerned about is in terms of like the broader industry what's happening with pricing what's happening with sales um, and that is hard to navigate i think and i think also the volume in the in the in the in the investing community it's just really low and so okay. you can have good news you can have these fundamental wins but then they're not translating into share price and there's just such a low volume in the industry that it's just hard to kind of celebrate the wins because you're not seeing them actualized in the bottom line and that's really yep. frustrating Um, I can certainly say
0: it's been frustrating watching that happen in in my own personal public portfolio as well, but it's not something that, you know, I think the cannabis industry is likely feeling it a multiple of a degree higher than the broader cap markets, but with the rest of the kind of risk off trade, um, that's happening across the board and with the nascency of the cannabis cap markets, it certainly I think has, um, we felt it much, much more strongly, at least in in our industry. So it's, I agree, it's sad to see like, positive results not actually reflect the stock price. Well, I mean, the fact that some of these major MSOs are trading, at you know, right around one times forward revenue, or sometimes less, maybe sometimes a little bit more, I think is uh, absolutely bonkers to me, especially if you compare it to traditional CPG, like big alcohol or big tobacco companies who are growing you know sometimes they're not even growing they're they're more stagnant or, or negative growth but let's just say you know three four five percent a year where cannabis companies are growing EBITDA 30 40 50 percent year over year as they're getting more efficient but they're trading at multiples far less than than their you know CPG analogs out there it's it's absolutely bonkers to me I think it's just not well understood frankly
1: yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. I think that's right. I, I think it's also just, um, it's really hard to navigate when you're not seeing true reflection. That's just really hard to navigate as as people and, and as investors.
0: Um, yeah. Sure. If you know, if you believe, again, I think we talked about this the first time in the long term and longevity of the industry. And I think if you have a strong focus on balance sheet, um, and you can stomach the ride of the public markets, um, you know, it's worth a long-term bet. And that's, uh, you know, we're private markets investors. We don't really invest in common equity, um, but we do believe in the MSOs and the big publicly traded companies. Um, we do look to work to structure deals with them because we ultimately believe in them. It's just a, a different risk-adjusted return profile, obviously, than the common stock. And obviously you don't have the heartache of of riding the up and down roller coaster, but Right. Yeah, we're we're long-term investors one way or another. I think folks need to approach the industry that way generally too. This is not one that I would recommend, you know, coming in and day trading. Yeah, I think you might get your butt handed to you that way, but get a th- different story there too.
1: No, absolutely, and I think you need to understand your investing timeline. I think, you know, there was and I think the the way that the rallies come have come in terms of how strong they are around these headline promises Mm -hmm. and then if they're not followed through which in many cases they're not Mm -hmm. um you know it just really leads to severe disappointment but I think probably the excitement is overwrought as well um Mm -hmm. until we get to this place which I think is a little bit far off where what's happening in the narrative around cannabis is really being actualized in terms of I hope it's I hope it's completely descheduled, not rescheduled. But in any of those scheduling conversations, that helps in terms of, you know, if we ever do get to a safe banking or getting rid of the 280 e tax, you know, which is going to help these companies. So I I think it's definitely a matter of having a strong stomach and also, you know, not looking at your portfolio every two seconds and being like, I mean, my God, green thumb is under nine dollars you know two years ago who would have thought that green thumb would be under nine dollars and it's still at the top of the mso heap it's still one of the strongest performers it's insane you know and they're and they're providing some good news despite the the negative kind of sentiments in the broader industry um yeah that's just really hard to deal with i think as a as a human being um so just being able to ride that wave and not sell, sell, sell every time it gets really scary, which is, you know, very, very often.
0: Very often. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a really good segue into one of the topics that I wanted to chat with you about. So I'm going to bounce around a little bit here, but, you know, you were talking about some of the regulatory paths forward and, you know, how far away is it, et cetera. You know, what are your views on maybe safe banking or, or rescheduling? Do you think we see some relief in 23, Do you think it's maybe more headline relief by the end of the year? What what are your expectations? I know absent a crystal ball, it's, you know, yeah, you know, you can't promise anything, but what are your thoughts here?
1: I will make all my promises caveated. Um, (laughs) No, I promise nothing. I promise nothing. Um, I don't see it happening this year. I don't see it happening this year, unfortunately. Um, I do think it's a bit headline driven and i think the politicians like to play this game uh maybe they even love to play this game because they really play it uh, uh well and a lot um in terms of you know driving the, the the positive sentiment um and and i think the players in the industry kind of sometimes echo that because they're also excited about it and they want to you know push for change and they want to engender all of these improvements in the industry and completely justifiably. I'm just not seeing anything that makes me believe that we're going to get somewhere this year. Excuse me. We had uh, Graham Farrar on a a couple months ago when Mm -hmm. at the height of the safe banking uh, kind of excitement towards the end of last year. And he was saying that, you know, there's two ways to legalize cannabis. There's the, you know, the way that we've tried through safe banking and Congress and the trading this for that. And, that hasn't worked for us. And then, you know, he sees it as coming from a federal level in time for the next election. And I'm not sure that that's, I'm not sure that that's not wrong. Yeah. I think that's what I want to say. Double, double negative. Yeah.
0: It just seems like it'd be such a slam dunk for the Democrats at this point, like any cannabis reform and look, I mean, Booker, Schumer, Wyden, they dropped the ball. Like hear me out guys i hope you're listening to the podcast (laughs) because you you messed up i don't blame mcconnell for saying strip it from the ndaa or the omnibus package back in december regarding safe banking for everyone's benefit um look we've it feels like we have the standalone votes to at least push this through but we've had safe pass the house what like seven times now and it's yet to really make it to the senate floor i think we're gonna have to see it passed in the senate and then unfortunately, the Democrats are going to give the win to the Republicans because they're just going to slam dunk it in the House right after that. Does that happen this year? I, I just don't know that it's top of mind for politicians right now. Like there's all this hype towards the end of last year, and it just seems to completely have disappeared. And, you know, they're back into their same old routine. I yeah. would love to see something happen going into the election cycle. So I think I personally, re- you know, hold on to a glimmer of hope um, to maybe hear something by the end of this year. But, um, look, if history paints a picture, um, you know, I've been heartbroken so many times, so I'm not going to let myself get, you know, too involved just yet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember being at a conference in LA when safe banking passed the house. I think it was the first time a couple of years ago and everybody was just like, okay, that's it. And yeah, my God, I don't think
0: that well <laughs> really understood what that meant. Um, yeah. anyways, I'd say probably half the cannabis industry still struggles understanding, you know, traditional politics, but that's uh, that's another uh, another story too. My so, god, I think
1: okay. I think real political watchers don't totally understand politics. It is a dirty nasty business.
0: To your point, we are very close to a lot of um regulators, a lot of folks in government relations. We actually are um, building a strong relationship right now with a lobbying group and even they can't tell us like we're like come on give us the inside scoop and you know it's it's a coin flip everything that these you know experts tell us so you just never know i mean mcconnell like with one tweet or whatever basically ruined our hopes at the hope act or the safe banking Act happening last year so there never really is telling but so that's that's a really good kind of, I think, holistic view on the cannabis markets here. You know, what are our expectations? It's, I think what you're saying is it's probably better to not hold on to hope and to operate under the expectations that the current environment and regime in place is likely to remain in place for some time being. That's frankly how we look at underwriting opportunities. When we look at investment um, out there or companies to partner with, we say, let's just assume the status quo today remains in place over the next few years. And if we get a surprise to the upside with some sort of reform or banking or legislation coming through, we'll call that a cherry on top. But I think to, to not only save yourself from becoming heartbroken, but also to save yourself from making a poor investment decision. uh, Again, I think it makes sense to say, is this a viable business today? What does this business look like? Assuming that there's no change, um, from a regulatory perspective over the next few years? And is it viable tomorrow? Um, Kind of switching gears- Go ahead.
1: I just I just want to say to that point, I think that we've suffered as an industry very much from the overpromising. I think totally. companies have overguided. I think analysts have overguided. Canadian operators, when I first started covering it, were overpromising what they could possibly bring to the entire world. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and I Too optimistic
0: I think, is right, is really what it feels like.
1: Very much so. Very much yeah. so. It's like you can't go on the high end of things when we haven't proven a baseline. And so I think it's, we would all be very wise to take everything with, with a grain of salt, even our own excitement, because everything is not everything, but most everything is slower than we want it to be.
0: It's so funny that you say that too, because our underwriting process, you know, every deal we look at, we underwrite four scenarios and then we add a probability to whether we think that scenario will come through. And then we get like a blended kind of return expectation on a deal. But the four scenarios we underwrite is we underwrite a home run case, which is where I think most analysts are pointing you to, which is the over Then we underwrite a base case, a conservative and a low case. In almost any instance, the low case is a donut. It's a zero return on an investment, to- total loss of principal. And then we'll add the probability and say, okay, well, this is maybe our expectation. But the reality is, we really look at the conservative case and the base case of our underwriting to really say, this is how we're going to benchmark the company going forward. We don't benchmark it against the home run or the donut. Cause if we benchmark it against the donut, we probably wouldn't be doing the investment in the first place, but we like to set our expectations. Like we're probably, probably really ending up somewhere between the conservative underwriting and the base case underwriting, which in many cases, um, you know, we're haircutting management's projections by 50 plus percent just to get to the base case. Conservative, we're talking like 80% haircut in their pro forma. And in doing so, we still get to a return threshold that we think is good for our investors. Now, if we were to ever hit the home run, I mean, that's, you know, it's a home run, it speaks for itself. But nonetheless, I think you save yourself a lot of heartache by being much more conservative in your thoughts of what's going to transpire in the future. And if you can get comfortable with your conservative underwriting, then ultimately I think that you won't be surprised in a negative way. You'll you'll likely, you know, be able to roll with the punches that the industry has certainly been dishing out for for some time. Um, I, I know we're I, think, I,
1: I just uh-huh. wanted to say I think that's really true. And I think as investors in the space, specifically retail investors, which is mostly what seeking alpha's audience is. Is it, We would be really wise to look for companies that are also doing the same thing. Like Air is a company that I've owned for a long time and have been bullish on. And, and they, I think, got caught you know uh, overextending themselves. And there's been a lot of layoffs or a company that I don't own like Cureleaf that got into California and then got out of it or companies that we're seeing across the industry yep. that... Got into acquisitions that didn't pan out, and then they either are going to court over it, or you know they had to swallow something. So it's not just us as investors, but also what we're looking. The companies also should be should should be doing that.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I know that we we set aside you know a kind of a set amount of time here. There's just uh, maybe a couple more questions I wanted to ask you, and, and then we can wrap this up. Um, you know it's been so difficult to study and research cannabis in the U S for decades because of its status as a schedule one narcotic. Um, You know, hopefully we see some big change with, uh, you know, the white house recently signing that medical marijuana bill, but talk to us a little bit about what's going on in Israel with regards to the farmer research that's being done, the IP development, um, et cetera. I think that Israel if I recall correctly, I saw a chart, and this is not just cannabis. um, Israel leads the world with regards to r and d spend per G, um, you know as a percentage of GDP. And we see a ton of research coming out out of uh, out of the Israeli market. I, I would love to kind of just hear your take on what the views are there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why I was excited to get into cannabis living in Tel Aviv, because I can avail myself to a, lo- a lot of people that have been doing research on cannabis for a lot longer than the industry's even been alive in many parts of the world. Um, I don't know if everyone out there knows that Rafael Mashulam, who's a, um, a scientist at the Technion in Israel, he was the one that discovered, you know, THC in the first place. Mm-hmm. And from there, it's been very much a research-based, um, you know, s- state uh, in terms of how we're looking at cannabis. It's not really translating. Well, it, it's kind of translating into the, you know, kind of marketplace um, slowly, slowly. But yeah, I think what's really exciting is all the research and the credibility that's that's come from that. Um, and I think one of the, you know, one of the things that I was... Um, I was, I was talking to somebody that runs a psychedelic company, and he was saying that one of the missteps that he thinks the cannabis industry made was going straight from medical legalization to adult use without really developing the research behind cannabis. And I think what's, and I think what's happened because of that is like the stigma that we were speaking about at the beginning of the conversation, I think I don't know much, but definitely some of that would be dissipated if we had data to back us up yeah, and we could point right. to real hardened research to, to prove our case. And we wouldn't say, well, my aunt just let, you know, or my, you know, we wouldn't be rely we wouldn't be relying as much on data or on human rights or all the things that we're forced to rely on without really robust, rigorous data. Um, so I'm very encouraged by that. Side of things that's happening here, and I'm, and and I, you know, I see it spreading to other parts of the world, and I and I think that that's really um, salient in our development of the industry. I think it's a really, uh, it's a really um, essential part of, I think, something that's missing in the states. It, it's starting to be figured out. I mean, it's definitely happening more and more, but I, but I think it's definitely missing um, in the states.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a really thoughtful perspective. And it's funny, because you say that, and it instantly clicked and resonated with me, but I didn't, uh, I don't think that I've ever really considered that viewpoint with regards to how quickly, you know, medical cannabis has really just been a Trojan horse to adult use recreational cannabis. And we kind of skipped a step um, in between there. But I do think that over time, the research will come, it will continue to happen. I think that You know, regardless of the market's reaction, I think that Biden signing this medical marijuana research bill hopefully does open up the avenues for us to start seeing more positive results. At the same time, um, I think that people should expect to see that long-term use of any substance is likely not good for you. So I know (laughs) that we're seeing some headlines um, out there that, oh my gosh, you're combusting and smoking something in your lungs, e.g. cannabis in this example that's never good for you. I don't care if you're smoking cannabis or tobacco or carpet. It doesn't matter. Like it's never going to be good for you for combustion, which is another reason I think that a lot of the new form factors coming online have actually been more enticing to other consumers. So I think that folks can reasonably expect that you're going to see a lot of positive headlines in the future, but you're going to see a lot of negative headlines as more research and studies come out. Um, and you uh, should be should...
1: questioning where that, sorry, but you should be questioning where that research is coming from because there is bi- biased research. Don't, don't get it twisted. Definitely.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yep. So we try our best, you know, and you do a good job of this on the podcast as well as trying not to be biased and giving more of a holistic view on the space, but look, just like any other substance, like let's not forget it's psychoactive, you know, it's going to have, it's positive and it's negative effects. And I think that responsible consumption is something that needs to be taught. Um, I think that that's frankly a big reason to push towards legalization in the first place is not only um, having more avenues to educate consumers via, you know, bud tenders, etc. But also just making sure that the product that you're buying is safe. It's been tested, you know where it's coming from, you know exactly what you're consuming so that you can hopefully avoid, you know, the stories of, oh, I took an edible and an hour later I wasn't feeling it so I took another one and then I went to the hospital because I got two stone, but Rena, it's and been a pleasure. Go it's ahead. It's been no, a pleasure. No, I was just yeah. going to
1: say, and also become informed. Like, if you are a consumer of cannabis, get really informed on what that is. Cause, A, not all cannabis is psychoactive. If you do take too much, you can figure out a way with CBD to kind of lessen that. There are many, you know, find out what terpenes are healing, like in terms of the medical approaches. There's so much research being done. There's so much to know and it's not all psychoactive. You don't have to smoke it. So from that vantage point, it doesn't have to be something problematic. Um, But yeah, I think the key is just in in terms of investing, in terms of healing, you know, arm yourself with knowledge.
0: Yeah. I like how you said that there, the key. Um, It it bodes well (laughs) to to me and my company, but anyways. excellently done. Yes, it was. Uh, So, you know, I, my my final comments here are I, I'm so excited to see where the industry's headed. Um, I, I would, you know, a few years ago, I probably would have said, you know, five years from now, man, there's going to be so many different um, remedies, formulations, et cetera, for different ailments, et cetera, on the shelves. I expected that this would be on nutraceutical company shelves and, you know, the GNC or the vitamin shops on the world as, as, you know, another line item ingredient and in, in different types of uh, of nutraceuticals or even pharmaceuticals. We're probably a little bit further away from that um, today than I, I would have anticipated. Um, but nonetheless, I do think that the future is very bright for the industry. I think that there's going to be a lot of interesting form factors to your point um a second ago and and it's it's going to be quite interesting to see how it all evolves but it's been you know as always a pleasure talking to you i really appreciate Likewise. you coming and joining us on our show um i hope that we're able to maintain this relationship and you know, go back and forth you know over time and and hopefully folks uh, that are tuning in will are you know getting something out of this and and over the evolution of time we'll see how far the industry truly has come um, never expect for anything to be a straight line up and super yeah. easy. We expect for it to be a, a roller coaster ride, but nonetheless, I would say we generally are trending in the right direction still, which is important to uh to realize also.
1: I think that's right. I think that's right. Markets do not move in a straight line, even if we thought that they would in, you know, 2020. Um, they don't. Uh, Yeah, very much, very much so. And I I very much appreciate you having me on. It's great to uh, keep this conversation going. Definitely want to keep it going. And yeah, I would just encourage all investors out there to take advantage of all the research and analysis being done um, and find the people that you think are smart and and telling it right and do your due diligence and uh, be patient.
0: Yes, (laughs) patience is key. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Patience is Uh, key.
1: You did it again. Oh, I did it again. I didn't (laughs)
0: realize I did it. There you go. I guess. Well, that's a good, uh, that's a good note to end on. So thanks everybody for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you, Rena.
1: Thanks Tibby.